My name is Maria Kent Beers, and my co-host Rachel Martinez and I are pleased to present Remember Me. This podcast is dedicated to preserving the memories of those diagnosed with FTD. We hope this episode leaves you feeling more connected, provides a deeper understanding, and allows you to learn to accept the good. Always, always accept the good. This is Remember Me. We are so excited to have Ashley with us. She's going to talk about her sweet father, Jimmy. I also want to call out that Ashley started an incredible Facebook group for support for children of FTD. And we're just so glad to have her here to get to know her a little better and hear her dad's story. So welcome, Ashley. Hi. 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 I'm excited to be here. The way that the podcast works, we just jump right in. Okay. You know that. So we like to know at what point do you think that you started to see your dad change? So I think for me, I was pretty young. I was 11 when he first got it. And so it took a few years and I think about 16 or 15, I started to notice there was like an instance where a few things were happening. Like he was losing money Mm -hmm. and My mom told us about it, my siblings and I, and I thought like maybe a a prostitute, it sounds bad, Mm -hmm. but like, I mean, he wouldn't do that, but like, how is money disappearing this much? Or like another woman, or is he gambling? Is he doing drugs? Like it's not in character for who he was, but it was so extreme to lose that much money every single day that we're like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. And then he got hurt at work and he lost his finger. Um, he forgot how to work a machine and they fed his finger into the machine. And afterwards I got called to the office and had to go to the like hospital. And we were told that it was a head trauma. So we're freaking out. And, but we're relieved when we get there to hear it's a hand trauma. We're like, no big deal. He can handle this. It's only the hand. And I got there and looking back now, it's kind of crazy because it didn't really stir anything in my mind where he was bawling over wanting to see his finger one last time crying Mm. saying he wanted it in a jar begging me to go beg the doctors beg my mom to allow him to see it one more time Mm. that's not something that you normally would experience or do but he was so like upset by this trauma of losing his finger that I think had he not had it it wouldn't have mattered and that Mm. kind of forced him to not work for a while to get over that issue. But then there was a time where I was about 16 and it was a raining and thunderstorm and it had just passed and I called my friends to come hang out with me and I was 16 so I didn't listen, you know. My mom's like, you can't go. And then my, I was like, yeah, I can. And my dad kind of stepped in and was like, no, you can't go. I'm like, it stopped raining. And he said, you're an effing B word and I hope you die. Oh, oh no. That's, so, that's a little shocking. A little jarring this, and we were best friends, like best friends my whole life. So to hear my dad mm-hmm. say those words to me, I was like, why do you hate me? Like, what did I do wrong? You know what I mean? And at that point in time, we didn't talk for four months. 
living in the same but house. But you were living in the same house. Oy. I wouldn't look at him. I wouldn't talk to him. I mean, I was a child and I was like, you really hurt me. And I didn't do anything to you to cause that to happen. And right. so it was Easter Sunday and he was like walking behind me in the basement on the computer. And I'm like, what does he want? And he's like, can we be friends again? And I said, okay, like thinking it's great now. We're going to be okay. And then he walked away and he said the B word again. Mm-hmm. And then I realized he can't help it. Like something in him, he can't help what he's doing. Right. And that was Easter Sunday. The next, that, that day we went to our family's house in New Jersey for our, our um, dinner. And something my uncle had said had actually caused my dad to become furious, upset, crying, screaming, like so upset saying he hopes he dies. He just wants to die. And just, I remember being embarrassed because I seen the side of my dad, but no one else had seen or experienced it or knew about it. And it's like letting them into my life in a way that like they didn't know in a version of my dad that I didn't even know was happening. And I remember saying to my uncle, I hate my dad. I hate him so much. And then a minute later going to console him. Like this toss of like, I hate this man who he's becoming from this disease that I don't even know what it is. And then this is my dad though. And he's so upset. What can I do to fix this? And that's kind of what I knew. Like something was not okay. So it was the finger kind of close to Easter, but you guys saw symptoms even before that. Now you can realize it looking back. My mom, sorry. My mom can actually recall almost immediately when it started to happen. I was so young. I was like high school boys, like living life. Yeah. I didn't see over here that this was happening until it actually affected me because now you're like hurting me before it was other people, which sounds mean, but like I was young, you know, that you're hurting them, but you're not hurting me. But now I'm your, I'm your baby. I am, I am your best friend and you're attacking me now and saying you hope that I die and calling me mean names. Right. And are you the old, are you have siblings? Mm-hmm. How many do you have? I have two older siblings. Okay. So you're the baby. Yeah. And the siblings, are they male or female? Both. Okay. Wow. And yeah. was he, this, did this treatment feed over to them as well? Or was this just, were you just the lucky kid? <laughs> um, I think, I think it was always a little more strained with them to begin with. Okay. So it wasn't really noticeable as much. It just was a little comments here and there. He would make that you'd be like, what are you talking about? But it wasn't okay. until it hit me yet that I was like, this is not okay. Wow. And what That's, did you think that it was? What did you, why did you, you know, think he was acting this way? We thought like multiple personality disorder. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I was um, 16. Maybe I didn't know my dad. Like I thought I did. Maybe I was becoming older and the attitude of being a teenager. Maybe he just was thinking I was not as fun or exciting mm-hmm. as a teenager when I'm going through all these things in life that I thought maybe it just was a me thing or just like a him not jiving with that very well. Mm-hmm. So you start blaming yourself. Like, what did I do to make him feel mm-hmm. this way about me? Yeah. And at what point did you guys bring him in to get professional help? So during this time, he was seeing a counselor. He was kind of depressed beforehand. 
And so it took him several years to get diagnosed. But I remember he went to my aunt's house in New Jersey because we were going to sell our house. Because at this point, he wasn't working anymore because he couldn't figure out how to do his job. And she had him for a few weeks because he couldn't handle the change of us doing everything for the house. And he ended up being hospitalized there. They told my mom at that time, they think it's dementia, but they don't want to diagnose him with that because he was so young. So we get him back home. And then a few months later, we are going to Christmas. My mom is driving to New Jersey. We're over a bridge and my dad opens the door and goes to run and grab onto the bridge. And he's going to kill himself. My mom calls the ambulance, they come, they call the police, they come, they come bring him back, he gets hospitalized. At this point in time, we're also hearing from my dad's family, um, you know, they love him and they think that we're not doing enough and he's not changing, he's not getting better, he's not, you know, he's still being the same. So what are we doing wrong and how can they make it better? You know, how can they fix it? So at this point in time, my mom is 80 pounds because she is stressed out, she's taking care of him. And so... My mom says, okay, to my aunt, you can have him, like take care of him, get him better help. If you can get him better help. And at this point in time, they were so strained. They were like separated. Mm -hmm. She was going to divorce him. She was like, I can't handle stress of like, feeling like I'm never going to be enough to take care of him. And this, he's not getting better. And we thought it was something seriously like personality disorder kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so after that, he was at my hand, my aunt's house for about six months and he was hospitalized again almost immediately after um the the bridge incident and then it was treatment for neurological treatment for all these things and no one could diagnose him and then he went to a hospital for over a month and then we got him back when we got him back my mom contacted the alzheimer's association and they referred us to a doctor that finally said hey he has this so he's basically, I don't like the word institutionalized, but basically institutionalized and they couldn't figure out what was going on. No, mm. no. And then after he got diagnosed, I mean, at this point in time, he was seven years into it. I was 18. So I got, I was 11 when he got it. He was 44. I was 18. And um, it took this long. And then at this point in time for his like interview with the doctor, he couldn't even answer questions. Like he had no concept of what they were saying Mm. beyond like, do you like what you ate today? Do you like this? Like he couldn't really answer like anything about his care or his mental capacity. It just was beyond him. And then he went to an adult daycare and he was the youngest one there, but he was also on the behavioral spectrum of it. So he was hard to handle. Yeah. And so they would make him nap um, for all day because they didn't want to handle him. And then after a few months before Christmas, they said, um, we don't want him back here. And in the meantime, he's also being hospitalized. We're calling the police on him for the ambulance because he's sundowning. And he's becoming really aggressive and he was a very, a very violent behavioral situation going on. Can you explain what sundowning is? Um, my dad, especially uh, during the nighttime, like during the fall, especially when the weather's changing, 
he just would become almost erratic. Like he would become crazy and you couldn't control him. I mean, screaming, throwing things, cursing at us, threatening for us to call the cops on him, like daring us to, and then, or crying in the other corner. Like it was either one and he had to keep getting constantly medicated and changing it. Like we were medicating him and it sounds bad, but his behavior was so bad. My mother was medicating him every hour on the hour to try to like stabilize him from peaking and going crazy. Right. I hate that word crazy, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. I know. know. So there was violence. There were just episodes of this over and over and over with the diagnosis and without. Once the diagnosis came in, was a doctor able to, I don't know the word I'm looking, I don't want to say like calm him down because no, but like, were you guys able to find the right medication and the right care? What happened next? No, he... I'm like over here really rooting for Jimmy. I yeah. just want you to know that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I just want to make that clear because whew, I'm sweating for him like, <laughs> the whole thing on the side of the computer. No, um, he, he didn't. And he was even aggressive a year later when he was in the nursing home. Mm. Um, he just, he couldn't help it. He was really strong. I don't think he realized how strong he truly was. And he would get so anxious and so nervous mm and paranoid so paranoid over like he thought my mom and brother were plotting to kill him and I'm like they're talking about dinner over here I don't know what you're talking about like and just things like that but no he never actually got to calm down I mean I have medical records of even a month or two after being diagnosed we bring him to the to the ER because he's needs to be medicated again like change his prescriptions or something and his actual doctor was the head of the the mental health area there and he was the one who kind of was helping him but they were pushing for him to get um in the nursing home asap but my mom you know medicare and all of that and medicaid or whatever he couldn't really yeah it's such a well because at what point uh, at that point what age was he like 50s 51 yeah it's terrible my heart just goes out to you because that's a lot of chaos. And especially for that time in your life, 18, you know, young twenties and you're watching all this craziness go, sorry to use crazy, but you're watching this chaos around you. And like, what role did you play in this? Did you, were you helping your mom try and take care of him? Like what, what was this like for you? So I also want to state that around this time too, I had no idea life was so different. Like now as an adult looking back, I'm like, this was not normal Mm. because I thought everyone experienced this. I had no idea. I knew it was a little different and not like 100% like what you would normally see in a family, but I had no idea how truly bad or different it was that I was experiencing this because no one ever told me differently with my friends. They never said, oh, Ashley, what's happening at home? Like, no, it didn't, wasn't talked about. But at this time, I think I just dove more into like taking care of myself and not like on an emotional level, but like my mom's disabled and my dad is no longer working. He was our main source of income. So how am I going to survive when we only have like 
grilled cheese in our fridge. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of my um, coping with getting through, I guess if you want to word it like that, was to pretend like it didn't happen to me. Mm -hmm. Like it was happening to somebody else, but it's not happening to me. But for me, I was mainly, I think I wasn't really the full-on caretaker. My mom was. I was that still kind of the same where we were jokesters. Like we would still joke and have like, obviously as he's getting sicker, our jokes were not as, you know, mature. Effects, right. <laughs> but, but we were still like saying things that were not appropriate because they were hilarious. And like, that was our connection and bond. And I think even when things would happen and he would realize he's not who he used to be because he always realized that he was different, like he was changing. I think he always kind of more relied on me to kind of be almost the emotional like person that he always remembered me being, that I can be there and comfort him in that way. And did that start after diagnosis? Were you able to kind of change your mindset and your feelings towards him and like maybe soften to him a little bit because you started to understand the picture of what was going on? I don't think I ever really understood what it meant. For me, I remember just when I found out about it, realizing that my dad won't be there when I get married, when I have kids, that my dad's gonna die. And just like how final that will really be when the time comes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry that realization is like the worst when you like finally get the diagnosis and you're like okay but also what like now it's over he's he's done like and I, I remember the exact same way. I remember going to my cousin's weddings you know in the 90s the song was butterfly kisses and I remember oh. always thinking oh my god when I get married, thank God it's not 1990 anymore. Totally. Yeah. But <laughs> I remember just being like, this will be our first dance, you know, my dad and I, and then realizing that will never, ever happen for me. And also after finding out he was diagnosed, I was not the best child. Why do you say, what do you mean? Because lack of understanding. Mm -hmm. And I think also I just was over it. Like, and it sounds totally mean because I'm sure he was over it too, but I was over not feeling like a normal 18 year old, not experiencing the college things you experience, not getting to experience life like somebody who has a healthy father would get to experience and like a great father would get to experience. Like just, I would say things out of not understanding what it would mean to him to hear those words because you know, he would hear it and then cry, you know, but also like just being like, but what about me? Like, why sound, am I? It's like resentful. You sound yeah. resentful. Yeah. Yeah. But and, and so that totally. is a normal teenage. Totally. Like, I mean, you're having serious trauma happen to you in your very formidable years of your life. It's not shocking to me that you might be a little rebellious or have some attitude because, you know, in that time of your life, it is like, you're thinking about you, you know? Yeah. yeah. No judgment from us. Yeah. Woo. No girl. Uh -uh. And I still, to this day, I feel so horrible about it. 
and I know I can't change it, but I also know he said horrible things to me that he didn't mean either. That it's not that we're equal, but kind of like, okay, like it's all right. Like it was a horrible time. Like we made it through. It's fine. Like right. no one expects to go through a situation like this. And you you have to be gentle with yourself and forgive yourself for all of us have things that we regret that we've said or done or gotten frustrated, but no one teaches you how to deal with losing your parent in their 40s or 50s, you know, and having this complex dementia where they're still in front of you, but they're not who they were. It's, you have to forgive yourself for that. So I hope that you have. Yeah. Yeah. I've been working with that a lot. It's kind of, I'm a people pleaser and I'm a daddy's girl and I'm like always wanting to make him proud. So that always kind of sticks with my heart where I'm like, oh my God, I was so mean to you. And I didn't really mean to be mean to you, but I just, Mm -hmm. I wanted my love and my attention and my dad back. Right. Yeah, of course. I think you said something really interesting. You said that he would say things when he was either sundowning or going through an emotional moment where he would say something along the lines of like, I'm different, I'm changing. So he was aware of what was happening to him. There was an instance where he was, this is where I feel bad, where he was eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I remember walking in and it was all over his face. Like he's at that point where he's like a toddler. And I remember Mm -hmm. saying, you're a messy eater. And not meaning to be hurtful, just like stating the obvious. Like normally he would be like, yeah, I am, whatever. But he started bawling hysterically. And I remember my sister and brother and my mom were like, you can't say that to him because he knows he's not the same. So he knew this whole entire time that he was not who he used to be. That caused my dad to become suicidal as well. Like he would drive down the street, um, the highway with his eyes closed hoping to get hit. So he was well aware that his brain was just not functioning at even par anymore. There was a point where he was working and he got into a vehicle he had to use for work and he couldn't figure it out anymore. And it took them at his job two hours to calm him down because he was hysterical crying because he knew he used to work it and now he can't anymore. So true. So sorry. How frustrating would that be? Like, imagine if they were like, here's a laptop, open it up and go ahead and start typing. And you're like, uh, where do I, what? Do you know what it is? Yeah, exactly. That must have been just beyond for him. Yeah. Yeah. So you also mentioned that you guys eventually placed him in a facility. Yeah. How long was he in there? He was there from 2007 until 2019. He was the youngest patient. And it's interesting too, because before we put him in the nursing home, he had no idea what was happening. He was unaware. And then on the day we brought him to the nursing home, he knew. He knew where he was going. And as we were leaving, my mom left to go talk to somebody like the head nurse And he pulled me aside and he was crying and holding me and saying, please don't ever forget me. Don't ever forget me. Well, that's a memory. Yeah. Goodness. When your dad went into the nursing home, was he still like walking and talking and able to feed himself? Okay. Yeah, he was. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was still like yanking 
the air conditioners out of the windows at the nursing home, like several years into it, yanking it and carrying it down the hallway. Oh, okay. So he was a very fit man too. Then. Oh yeah. He was still choking <laughs> the um, nurses too over here against the wall. Like he was still, wow. yeah. Yeah. So he was there for 12 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was your journey after he was placed into a nursing facility? So I went to visit my dad for the first few years regularly. I would go there one or two times a week and visit him. And then it sounds weird, but I got to a point where I was 19 and I was living this really hard life. So before my dad went into the nursing home, I ended up getting a seasonal job somewhere away because I didn't get to experience college and all those fun things. And I was never really feeling like I was free. I was kind of helping my mom with my dad or dealing with this life. So I was going away for summers and coming back. And after he had gone into the nursing home, he started to not realize who I was. I remember him saying to me after I told him that, you know, I'm your daughter, right? He said, stop it. You're scaring me. He had no idea I was his daughter. I was somebody he knew, but he didn't really know how he knew me. Mm. So sorry. So after visiting him for a while and leaving for summers and coming back, I stopped visiting him. And part of it was also because I had so many bad memories of him with the disease, especially with his behavior. And I wanted to preserve whatever I had that was good. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to protect myself because of this loss that I was losing over here that he was my best friend growing up. And now he's this man who doesn't even know who I am anymore. And I know it sounds bad to some people, but for me, that was the only way I could figure out how to cope with it. Mm -hmm. I think it's hard too, because there is a level of like self-preservation, like you, regardless of it's your mom or your dad or your siblings, you will always come first for Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. So if that was what felt best, then nobody has any place to tell you that it's, oh, you shouldn't do that. You should go see him. You should do this. You should do that. The shoulds are going to just eat you alive. Yeah. Yeah. And like for me, even with my dad having it, I got to a point where, and it's such an unhealthy way of coping, but like I said earlier, it was ta- it was happening to somebody else, but not to me is how I kind of dealt with it to the point where I wouldn't even let myself think that I missed him. Mm-hmm. I would almost shame myself. Like, how dare you miss your dad because he's still alive and someone over here's dad mm-hmm. is dead. How dare you miss him because you had a great father and they had a not so great father. So you're lucky because you had all of this. And so I always felt like, I don't want to feel like I miss him because he's right there. He's still alive, still breathing and everything. You have no right. That's so tough. So towards the end of his life, was he wheelchair bound or was he still taking out air conditioning? <laughs> so great. Um, <laughs> he stopped talking around 2011. Okay. And he was only in chairs, so no walking in 2012. And actually, it's funny because I had gotten married that year and I had taken pictures at the nursing home like months after my mm-hmm. wedding. And obviously, I told you before, he didn't know who I was and hadn't known me for a long time. And we were taking photographs and he was so out of it. And then we were packing up to leave and he looks at me and he's back. 
Mm. His eyes are bright. His face is all red. He's smiling. He's looking me up and down and he's just so proud. And I think he realized who I was like, and what was happening that his daughter was getting married or had gotten married. And after that moment, I didn't visit him until he was passing away because I was like, that's one great moment. Mm. I don't want to ever lose. And I don't want to replace it with anything that could possibly happen in all of these years until he passes. So what was it like? Was it the disease that took his life or was it another comorbidity? What happened towards the end? Um, you know, it's funny. My dad's like the energizer bunny, like the cat with nine lives. He had almost died so many times that they stopped calling us almost for it. Cause they're like, I don't want to call you because tomorrow he's like, here I am. I'm great. I'm fine. And mm-hmm. so it kind of added a sense of denial when the time came because a year mm-hmm. before he passed away, we got the call that he's going to die. And I remember at that point in time, I was not ready for it. And I remember mm-hmm. saying, mom, when he goes, tell him I love him. I miss him, but I can't be there. Like, it sounds bad, but I just couldn't, like, I couldn't handle losing my dad and having to see what the disease did to him face to face and know who my dad's become because who I imagined him looking like and being like was not this age, this looking like this. Mm-hmm. And he was in hospice for a year. And then we ended up getting a phone call that my dad was pocketing his food, pocketing his food, not swallowing, couldn't take any pills. And my dad, the one thing my dad always got from FTD was seizures. Mm. So for a while he didn't have seizures, but he was having like grand mal seizures, like early on where he would smell something, like have a certain smell and he's like, it's coming. And they were fearful because he couldn't take his seizure meds and they were getting bad near the end that it would take him out. So it had been three days when they called us that he hadn't eaten drink or anything. And something in me just knew because my dad always ate. My dad almost died from pneumonia before, but he bounced back. Like something in this, I knew it was serious. And I went there and I saw him and that was horrible. That was Monday and he passed away on Sunday. Are you happy you went? He was worse than I thought he would look. I'm happy I went. I remember I went there Monday and I was like, okay, I'm good. I saw my dad. I'm great. I'm fine. You know, he, he's dying. And if he dies tomorrow, I'm leaving here knowing I saw him before he passed away. And then it was Thursday and I was at my counselor's and I left and something in me had said, I cannot let a day go by that he is here on this earth and I don't see him because I will forever regret that day that my dad goes. And I was like, well, I went there Monday and now it's Sunday. And he had all these days I could have been with him and that I'm letting it all go by because I don't want to face it. There's a lot of similarities in our story. <laughs> I was the same way. I wouldn't see my dad. I don't, I didn't see him for months. Cause I'm like, I just can't, I just, so I know that feeling. And then the guilt eats you up that you're not seeing him. And then you're mad at the guilt and then you're mad at your dad and then you're mad at yourself and yeah. you're mad at your, like yeah. everything. Yeah. And then I went there Thursday and I remember calling my mom every time before I went and I said, how does he look? Because if he's not eating, how much can I handle of how he's changing physically? Mm -hmm. The crazy part was as he was losing weight and as he was reaching his last days, 
she looked more like my dad than ever before with the disease. Like his eyes were back. And like you went from where I called, he was sleeping on Monday. Thursday and Friday, I would call him like a space cadet. Like he's staring up at the ceiling, but he's looking at nothing. He doesn't even know you're there. He has no clue. We went there on Saturday and I was fearful because they had told me that he might die from a seizure. And whenever he was getting changed, it would cause seizure activities like them moving him around. And so while we were there, they had to change him. And I was like, oh my God, he's going to die right now. He's gonna die and just freaking out. Mm-hmm. And we went in there and my dad was there. And it was like, he knew who I was. I would talk, my mom would talk and his eyes would shoot at us. And it's like, he would blink like he understood you and like he was communicating with you. And there was a point where I rubbed his shoulder with my hand and I said, I love you so much, dad. I love you, you know that, right? And his whole entire like shoulder twitched back at me. And I pulled away, I was like, oh my God, I'm giving him a seizure. (laughs) You're like, please don't. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. And then I realized later, I was like, oh my God, he was talking back to me. He was. I'm sorry, I've been kind of quiet. I'm just taking it all in. I just feel like you've been through so much from such a young age. And my heart, what? The age. The age. The Mm -hmm. age really, um, I'm not going to (laughs) cry. I just, um, and then thinking about how you've created this beautiful community on Facebook and I love it. Like every couple of days, you're like, how's everybody doing? How's everybody (laughs) feeling? And like, you've been through so much trauma. I'm just really like in awe of you and sad for you and want to give you a hug. So I'm just kind of taking it all in. Um, But I'm also like, I really want to know who he was before this. Like, I really want to dive into that and hear the good. If you're ready. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. I, I can't wait to hear. So tell us a little bit about maybe if you know anything about when your dad was growing up, like what he was like as a child, what his hobbies were. Um, so my dad was born in Brooklyn, New York. Woo, so woo! He, <laughs> Rachel. he had a very um, thick accent. Um, he was one of five children. He was the youngest. His mother and father were both in the military of sorts, um, but his father was an alcoholic and a womanizer. And so my grandmother had left him when my dad was two years old. No, I lied, two months old. And so a lot of it was my dad's father not being in his life. And they were very, very poor. So they lived primarily in Coney Island in Brooklyn area. And My grandmother didn't really work either. And my father's father didn't pay child support. So it was very hard. My dad's family also had issues with having a stable household. So at one point in time, they were evicted. And then everything that they had on the street that was theirs was picked through. And they already had no money to begin with. So now they have like nothing. And then their place they were also staying at at one point in time burned down and they had to stay with somebody else. And then my dad, I know he did work at Coney Island and he did like tickets for rides. And then my grandmother moved to Elizabeth, New Jersey and my dad followed and my mom and dad met. 
and it was my mom's best friend. Her name is Roseanne. And she had met my dad because he was working at the Acme. And she and her friends used to drive by with their car and wink at him and honk at him. <laughs> and my mom's friend was talking constantly about my mom and how he has to meet her. She's got a great girlfriend. He'll love her. My mom was over her house one day for a party and Roseanne called up my dad and my mom and him talked for a bit and he came by to check her out. And then they would talk every night after work for three or four hours. And she said she knew after a few phone calls with him, he's the one like, this is it. I'm going to marry him. And they broke up a few times. And I remember the last time they broke up, she had told me recently that she broke up with him and that he went to her house crying and bugging all the family and getting on her, his knees and saying to my aunt, you tell Ma Maureen, I'm going to marry her. I'm going to marry her. You tell Maureen, I'm going to marry her. And they got married. <laughs> How old were they when they met? So my mom was about 20 years old or 21. And my dad was about 24. Aww. So sweet. And then they had your brother? My brother and myself. My sister was from a previous relationship. And my dad took her in like it was his own child. Like he loved my sister just like he was, she was his own. Oh, that's beautiful. Tell us what he was like as a dad. Oh. My dad was fun. <laughs> Rachel. <laughs> <He> was fun. <laughs> my dad was fun and he was funny and he was known for doing impressions of Donald Duck. <laughs> and he didn't just do it with kids. It was anybody, like anyone you'd see, he would do Donald Duck. My dad also loved basketball. And when he was younger, he was training to become a professional basketball player. And my dad was five foot six. Then he was putting weights on his ankles to try and jump and dunk. And he taught himself to dunk. And he was the <laughs> ultimate like trash talker. Like he would tell people they don't have any game while he's dunking over their head. Like basketball on his finger, twirling around, dribbling the ball around you. Like, no, he was like, basketball was his life. What's your most favorite memory of him? So I have this memory of my dad and it's one that I always think of. And it's, I remember my dad loves birds. So my dad would take off the first week, the birds would migrate in like May <laughs> to sit on the porch and watch them fly in and land in our property and eat the bird seed. And I remember he loved hummingbirds. And so he had hummingbird feeders all along our porch and he couldn't get anybody to feed the hummingbirds from their hand because they would shake or move or they just wouldn't come to them. So I remember him dragging me out into the front porch and being like, let's do this. And I stood there and the hummingbird ate out of my hand. And he just was so proud that I figured it out. Like they came to me, they loved me, this is it. Like that's loved so it. cool. Yeah. That's so sweet. What are some of the lessons that you think about that, that your dad taught you? I was so young that I feel like I know more of him sick than I know of him. Mm -hmm. That it's kind of almost like I try to remember things and like I almost have secondhand memories from people who I'm like, oh yeah, he did do that. Did he? Did he? I don't remember that. You know, a lot of kind of not really mild memories. Mm -hmm. 
That's the, hard. the one thing too about my dad was that, you know, he had this really rough life and all of that, but my dad loved his family. I mean, my dad bought a house in the Poconos and it was a brand new house and he wanted to have the first brand new house in his family. He's competitive a little bit, um, <laughs> a little bit. He actually went to our neighbor's front porch and measured how long their porch was so that he could build our front porch to be longer than theirs was. Yeah. And it was two feet longer. Oh, I don't love that. I love it. I love that. That, my, like, that ignites my fire. <laughs> and my dad had no formal education and he worked for the township where we used to live growing up in New Jersey. And so it was all outdoors. It was cutting trees in the spring and planting them in the summer and all of that and just and just snow plowing and it was raking up leaves and just taking care of the town. But my dad built our wraparound porch with his own bare hands. And at that point in time, there was no staple guns. So it was hammering every single nail in all of the time. And he loved that house. It was 82 miles from his job to our house. And he would commute every day there and back just to come home and take care of our yard and our garden, but he loved it. And I think that too is what I want him to be remembered for is the fact that he loved his family so much and he did so much to give him a better life than what he had. Mm, that's like, so beautifully said. He was the person that he would do anything for anybody in our family and help out anybody. And he was also really big on vacations. Like it was never just like our immediate family. It was, let's take our cousins, our aunts, our uncles, my grandma, everyone would come in like a van and drive 13, 14 hours together, smushed in a van because we have to have time together. So how do you think Jimmy would want to be remembered? I think my dad would want to be remembered as somebody who tried really hard, who really did try because I feel like he had a hard life before and obviously during, but I really think that those prime years of his life were like the best he could ever experience. If he could have lived that life forever, he would have. And I think he just really loved to make people laugh and smile. And he really loved his family and just being around them, taking care of them and just loving them. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> so we can get Rachel to stop crying for a second. I'd love to hear a little bit about how you started um, the Facebook group for children of FTD. So I actually created it last year after my dad passed away. I think it was around his birthday last year. And part of me just felt like how lonely I felt growing up. Like I grew up where there was AIM, there was MySpace, there was things like that, but there was no like community and there was no support and how hard it was for me with coping and just going through it and the realization of what's happening and how much it would have been so much better to have people who knew what I was walking through. It's a really amazing group. Thanks. I think you have a lot of self-insight like you're able to like but you're able to self-reflect. Mm-hmm. What do you think this disease and watching your loved one go through it. What do you think that has taught you? I always feel like for some reason, I have to live my life to the fullest because he never got to. But I also feel like if my dad can make it through 
20 years of this, I can make it through this day. Or he did not fight this long and go through all of this for nothing. That like, if my dad can make it through, so can I. You're so, so strong. So strong. You, you thought I could stop crying, Maria. That's cute. <laughs> <laughs> Hearing stories like this, I'm like, how are you sitting up functioning? Yeah. Right now. How are you functioning? And then taking time out of your day to then tell us about this. How? <laughs> I just feel like you're so incredibly strong. I think, um, yeah, I'm just, I really don't have words. <laughs> I think that you're really inspiring and I really appreciate all the things that you dove into because we want this podcast to be really raw and really honest because a lot of people don't talk about what this, the real, real of yeah. what this disease is. And it's real. It's, it's dark sometimes. Like I said, I don't want to talk about my dad, you know, being suicidal, but it's real. Like my dad struggled for a long time because of this disease with suicide and having to try and stop that or prevent that from happening or like seeing things down, like what's going on, what's happening. But like, that's the truth. Like this is what happened to him. And he was violent and he was all these things. But my dad also at the core, he was a fun guy and he was very loving. And that man, he was he had turned into was not even close to the man that he actually was. Right. 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 I imagine the listeners want to know where you're at now in your life after going through all of this for such a big portion of like your teenage years. So I'm actually more connected to my dad. I feel like, like now that he's passed and all of that, I visit my dad. (laughs) Sounds weird, but I visit him regularly, like every week at his, cemetery and I read him family history documents because he loved family and he loved family history and would have loved to know it so I feel like now he gets to kind of know even though he already knows you know what I'm saying he already knows what's going on but now I can read it to him and tell him and kind of share that experience with him and I remember when he had passed away I had made this flip book of photos and on the back of each photo I had written down the story of that time So I had like my prom, my high school graduation. I had all of the events in my life and I wrote down in the back of it what I would have told him about that day. And I put it in his little, yeah. So he gets to experience that. And I read it to him. When I go to visit him, I read it to him. So that it's kind of like, now you're involved. Now you were there. Now you're connected with me. That's so beautiful. I have a business of my own. I have an online clothing boutique for women called Candy Rose Boutique. I have been working on that for a while. I have been working on myself really just to kind of kind of rediscover me, but also to work through a lot of things that I pushed down to not feel what I was feeling about him and kind of to bring to light all those feelings that were normal to have, but I didn't let myself have because mm-hmm. I didn't want to feel that way about him or the situation or my life. This is such a good interview. <laughs> Really, so I'm, like, I'm like, okay. Were you? Not done. Okay, fine. Oh, okay. I, I, she hasn't said his 
stuff the story part but I'm just saying it's already so good okay I just get so emotional at that part I get like anxious that it's coming and then I want to get it and then I'm like it's not a sad one it's going to be ridiculous so I have to share with you kind of like two small things two things okay so my dad loved Disney World that was my dad's jam like he loved Disney and around the time that we were going to Disney my grandmother and my aunt had gone to Michigan to Mackinac Island to visit our family and where we came from and all of that and we had never been there before and they were bragging about how great Mackinac Island was and my dad's over here like wait there's Disney World what are you talking about and so I have a part of a home video I'm going to read to you where my dad's talking to my aunt about Disney in Michigan the best part though is that a few months later we go to the island and that was it Disney World was nothing. My dad was obsessed with Mackinac and he loved Mackinac. And that's where he brought all of our family. He would fit 13 adults, children, and everything into this conversion van. And we would drive 14 hours through Niagara Falls down to the island for us to go on vacation. That's amazing. Because our family came from there and our family is from there and we have family on the islands. It was bring them all together. My dad talked this big game about Disney World for the longest time. And he's like, (laughs) we're done there. That's it. See, Kathy, this is the real life. I mean, you can go to Michigan whenever you want, but the timeshare is where it's at. Okay, Florida. This is Disney World. This is USA. You know, I said it to people and I'll say it again. We went on star tours and the force was with us. This is Jim Grant saying to Kathy, go to Michigan, do what you want, but you're never gonna have a place like this unless you come to Florida. Okay, bye Kath, signing off. Special thank you to Ashley for bravely sharing her story with us this week. If you want to join Ashley's Facebook group, go to facebook.com groups children of FTD. We release new episodes each week on Mondays, so be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to connect with us, you can follow us on Instagram at Remember Me Podcast. This podcast is produced by Maria Kent Beers and Rachel Martinez, and the beautiful music you hear is by Bailey Kent.